just finished up my last race of the season this past weekend. And as I reflect on the season, I'm satisfied with where I am. I'm satisfied with where I landed. I feel like as an athlete, as a cyclist, I continue to develop. I added some things into my training program. I continued to get stronger. I continued to grow and learn in my craft. But one of the things that I can attribute to allowing me to make these gains, again, they're not big gains at this point. They're kind of smaller gains, is a product called PR Lotion from Amp HP, formerly known as Topical Edge. This product allowed me to add some things into my training, uh, increase some of my workouts and the load that they would put on my system, more specifically on my legs, because this cream allowed me to recover faster, so I was able to recharge and be ready for the next day's training quicker. But in addition to that, the cream also allowed me to get the most out of that particular ride that I was on, and it allowed me to push out those boundaries during those workouts to get more out of it. So it's a win-win. I mean, you can ride harder on the present day that you're currently in. You can get more out of that particular workout. And it helps you to reload so that you can do the next day's training better. What could be better than that? But don't take my word for it. I mean, this is something that I have used um, this season and most of last season. And I feel like it's made a tremendous impact on me. So if you would like to try it out for yourself, I would love for you to. Hop over to topicaledge.com and type in the discount code UTMOST PERFORMANCE, U T M O S T PERFORMANCE, and go ahead and get yourself 25% off your first order so that you can begin enjoying these gains as well. And without further ado, here we go into this week's podcast. I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for tuning into the A Champion's Mind podcast. Today I've got special guest Chad Haga. Chad, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Nice. Well, Chad, can you do us a favor? Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks that are tuning in? Well, I'm Chad Haga. I am currently a professional cyclist racing with Team Sunweb. Uh spend most of my year in Spain as my European training base. Awesome, man. Good deal. Short and to the point. Uh so riding with uh riding with the big boys, right? Yeah, this is my fifth year with the team, and I'll be with them next year as well. Man, congratulations on that. That is awesome. That is awesome. So, Chad, can you can you do us a favor? Can you kind of take us back to like kind of wh- where did it all start? Like, how did you how did you get get into cycling? Uh, I mean, I I grew up on my BMX on the suburban streets of McKinney, Texas, and just hitting some sweet jumps and just having fun and loving the bike. Uh, you know, trying to do flatland tricks and whatever else. And my my best friend his his mom started mountain biking and so he started mountain biking and racing and then was like well i have to try it too so i started getting dirty uh and then started racing mountain bikes and i felt that my weakness in racing i mean i was only doing the dorba races in texas so like three races a year really nothing too serious but i wanted to get better anyway and it seemed that my endurance was the problem so I bought a road bike and then, uh, and then I learned from, uh, a friend of my dad's at, at work, a guy who would later become my boss, uh, about these Tuesday night crits in Plano. And so then I started road racing and, uh, I started college at Texas A&M the next, you know, just a couple months later. And they had a really big, really active cycling team there that I dove into headlong and, 
things only picked up speed from there. Yeah. Um, what, man, the, uh, blast from the past taking me back to the Tuesday nighter in Plano. Um, yeah. So just kind of getting into that, like, it, it sounds to me like it was more of just like a, uh, a very innocent kind of like, oh man, I'm mountain biking and man, there are these areas that I can improve in. And so the, the road bike was kind of an answer to that. Right. Um, but then yeah. at what point, at what point was it kind of like, um, you, you obviously started mountain biking less and I don't know how much you do these days, but it's not, it's not competitively. Right. I mean, your bread and butter is the road. So at what point was it like, man, I, I really am taking to this road cycling thing and the mountain biking kind of started kind of phasing out a little bit. Uh, I'd say it was partway through my collegiate career. I raced the, the full collegiate mountain bike schedule in the fall. There wasn't so much road racing going on then anyway. Uh, but once, yeah, I, I did the full collegiate mountain bike program through my, through graduation, but, um, but my focus was really on the road from about junior year on. And then, once I graduated, I've done a couple of mountain bike races since then, but it's it's been full on the road. Yeah. And I still I still love mountain biking, and I'm trying. I'm hoping to next year get a mountain bike over here so that I can ride it more than once a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of. I did some collegiate cycling as well uh, up at the University of North Texas. I'm a big proponent of like the collegiate cycling scene just for folks that like young young folks that are looking to get into cycling. Can you kind of explain a little bit to folks that are listening? Like what what is it like? You know what is the collegiate scene like versus once you jump into like USAC racing and you're a Cat Five and moving up and doing the the Texpra you know calendar and stuff like that. Like what are some of the differences between those? Uh, the collegiate scene uh, is some of the most fun racing I've ever had. It's just, it's a really, <laughs> it seems almost too literal to say it, but it's a collegial group of people. Uh, it's just everybody's in the same age range, the same period of life. And so it's, it's really just a reunion of friends every weekend. And then you, you just race super hard because it's uh, it's like a, a weekend hammer ride, but you've got numbers on your back. and. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It's a really, it's a chill environment. It's just focused on racing for fun, and uh, but that doesn't make the racing any less competitive. Yeah, yeah. So you're just like out there, just ha and were you sprinkling in, uh, were you sprinkling in some some like Tex Texbra, you know, racing with the collegiate, or were you just like straight collegiate? Uh, no, it didn't take long for me to start doubling up and racing. Uh, on the off collegiate weekends, do the the Texpra, uh race program as well. And uh, and at this point, um, like you're racing for is it squadra time yet? Like were you were you with squadra at that time when you started kind of double dipping like A and M when you were doing the collegiate stuff and then squadra when you were doing um, the... let's see. Well, I I raced unattached uh, just in my Texas A and M jersey for a long time, and then uh, once I I was pretty close to a Cat 2 upgrade. Then I joined Team AT&T for really just a few months. Um, AT&T brain and spine. I was with them for a few months and then uh, and then hopped over to Super Squadra. Yeah. But I think that was 2009 that I started with Super Squadra. Man. Yeah, a long time ago. I mean, good good group of guys. Yeah. And, and good group of guys and like an older group of guys that we're always looking for. And they still are. I mean, they're still doing it. You know, just always looking for young folks that they can – kind of bring up and, and kind of help and kind of shepherd along. 
uh, and show the ropes, just a, a guys with a, with a ton of experience uh, underneath their belt. And so this was 09. Okay, this was 09. This was a long time ago. So we're kind of starting to get into the, uh, the point where, like, I started rubbing shoulders with you and kind of, you know, noticed you, I guess, and you started getting a little bit more notoriety in terms of the Texas Peloton. But um, so at this point, like what's going through your head when you're on squadra, I mean, is it, is it getting more serious? Like, are you kind of pushing down the pedal a little bit more on the accelerator to kind of get, you know, a little bit more out of you and take a little bit further? Is it still an innocent pursuit? I mean, at this point, what would you categorize it as? Oh, it was, at that point, it was definitely a passion that I wanted to, I wanted to see how far I could go. I, at that point I had hopes of, of racing professionally someday and was just, uh, Trying to get there as fast as I could, really. Okay, all right. So it was like a it was like a known thing that you were chasing after. Um, but then you've got the like like you're I mean you graduated with a mechanical en- uh, engineering degree from Texas A and M, right? So how, <laughs> yeah. So how are you able to uh, like you're, you're wanting to go pro, uh, but then at the same time you know you're wanting to do the school thing well too. I mean, how did that play itself out? What did that look like for you? Uh, well, my, my parents and dad especially made it very clear that I was a student first. And so for all my aspirations in cycling, I, it really was a balancing act, uh, because I I still had to make the grades and, and graduate first of all. And everything, every bit of energy besides on the side of school went to racing and training for me. Um, so there were a few years there that I just, <laughs> I wasn't sleeping much, uh, I would train as hard as I could and then do as much school as I could and then go travel on the weekends. So it was burning it at both ends, but, uh, I was able to make the grades and get the race results. I didn't have much of a social life besides, but, uh, <laughs> I got what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, you're reminding me of, um, I don't know that he would ever listen to this, but uh, if he did, uh, Vasant, you know, uh, I remember having <laughs> Vasant as a teammate, you know, at A&M and like he was doing the, the medical school thing. And it, yeah, I mean, I would see how he was doing it and, um, you know, studying while on the trainer with a music stand and doing those kinds of things. I don't know if you did those kinds of things as well, but, but this yeah. is so, and here, and here you are like 2018, right? I mean, man, you're going into your fifth year for like one of the best teams in the world. We'll talk about that in a second, but like, do you feel, okay, not a traditional run-up to become the highest level professional you can be, right? I mean, most people, you know, the track they take is, well, we'll start doing the homeschooling thing or we'll just we'll stop going to school altogether and just put all of our chips in on being professional. And yet you, you didn't do that um, and you still made it. Do you feel like looking back on it, like that was a little bit of a blessing? Here's here's why I say that. I feel like sometimes folks that push all their chips in, it's very mentally draining to just have that be your one thing that you do live and breathe all day long. And some folks just can't handle that like pressure cooker of a, this is all that I have. I'm a one trick pony. And you had the school and you had the cycling. So you had to kind of juggle both of those and maybe weren't allowed, you know, weren't able to put as much thought into like what I'm actually doing here because you had to go study for a test or whatever it was. I mean, do you feel like that maybe was advantageous? I, yeah, I think it was beneficial in, in many ways. Um, and wh- one thing I realized in getting into an organization like team Sunweb, it's a, it's a big operation 
And the skills I learned in engineering of just like working in a team and as part of a, an organization and understanding that it's a business and how it functions that way. Um, having come from like, I spent two summers as an intern, so I, I got some real like workplace experience. And so just the, the organizational stuff that you have to do as a professional cyclist, it's, uh, some guys have trouble with that, but, but I was able to get some experience in that area. But, but then just to be a more well-rounded person and to have a backup plan is really good. I, not to brag, but a lot of my colleagues are really jealous that I already have a degree. Um, some of them as, as their career starts to wind down, they're like, okay, I need to start going to school so that I can transition out of this sport. Um, and then that's difficult to do while still racing. Um, and then you never know when it's going to end. Uh, I mean, we saw just a couple of days ago, a professional team just up and closed their doors in the matter of a week. And I hope all those guys can find jobs, but if they don't, I, I hope they can find jobs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it's good to have that waiting for me. Um, I'll be very rusty and it's going to take a leap of faith for somebody to hire me so long away from engineering, but I've proved I can do it at least. Yeah. Well, and at the same time that you say that, I've got a couple of points to tease out here, but the first one, just echoing off of what you just said last though, like now you, you've shown you, it is your job. I mean, writing for team Sunweb is your job. Like you said, you're in an organization that runs like a business. So it, it might not be that big of a leap of faith for somebody once you're, you know, once you you retire from cycling for somebody to say, well, he's got experience in a real workplace, you know, um, I, I really like that you said that because um, I think and, and for anybody listening that's aspiring, right, to, to be at your level or to be just professional, what have you. I mean, I think it's neat uh, just kind of reading between maybe what you said that you were not, um, I guess, surprised that when you walked into a professional organization, a professional cycling organization that, hey, this this organization works like any other organization that you would be a part of anybody else that has a nine to five, like this is how this place works. Because I feel that a lot for a lot of um, folks, when, when they become professional cyclists and they do this thing, they become disenchanted by some of the things that they find out about how this actually works, you know? And, um, you know, unfortunately you're right. It does run like, well, not unfortunately, but it does run like a business and there are going to be times where, yeah, a sponsor pulls out and, that happens in business. Well, cycling is a business. And so those kind of things may happen. And, and I think that you having those experiences before you got into professional cycling, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, this is just like any other job that I would have outside of cycling. And so um, you were able to kind of rest a little bit easier with it. And then, you know, knowing the brevity of a career, right? Knowing the brevity of a, of a cycling career um, and knowing that, like you said, it could end at any time. I mean, you had a you know, you, you suffered a pretty horrific accident, training accident with some of your yeah. teammates, you know, uh, I believe, was it a couple years ago? Yeah, 2016. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, if you can just kind of speak to that a little bit, like as you're sitting there and, and waiting to go through all of these operations and, and waiting to hear what this means for you and in terms of recovery and everything, I mean, did you, did you see uh, some, some, maybe some panic and some worry and some anxiety that was on another level than maybe the anxiety you were experiencing because you knew you have this degree in your back pocket and maybe some of those other 
guys that maybe were, were with you during that accident or maybe just in any other situation that you've seen just kind of start panicking because they're like, man, what do I do if this ends? Yeah, it's – I mean from our accident, I I didn't get to spend so much time with the other guys uh, as they were recovering. We all just kind of went to our own homes and, and recovered there. But, uh, but I know there was a sense of sort of panic. Like a few guys had serious setbacks and – and so there was a real feeling of like, can we get back to where we were? Is this, did this seriously alter our trajectory, um, our career? And so for guys that they're all in on that, then it's, it becomes an even bigger panic point. Yeah. Um, and you see that every year with a guy who gets injured and they're like, Oh no, it's a contract year for him. So then there's, the extra sense of urgency that it, that some somebody's hurt and they don't have a job lined up for next year and they need results and so um, it's it's really a, a pressure cooker situation where guys can make some bad decisions. Yeah, it, it the recovery for you from that accident was that was that more difficult, less difficult than actual like training, actual nuts and bolts training, getting ready for, you know, you just finished doing your first tour. Uh, you've done several Giro's at this point, a couple of Vueltas. Like, was it even more difficult getting back from that injury than it was to, to actually do the physical preparation to race some of the biggest races in the world? Uh, yeah, uh, everything else is just normal training. Right? You, you wear yourself out, you rest, do it again. And then, you know, eventually you're, you're racing, but that, uh, recovering from that crash was a different, different experience physically. My legs were ready for the training. I mean, once, once I got my knees loosened up and moving again, um, recovered from the impact, it was, my body was just absolutely wrecked. Um, I, I, my neck wore out faster than my legs did. And so every day it's, my, the real suffering began when the training ride ended. I was just, I could only lay on the floor the rest of the day. I was destroyed. Um, and so that, that took some time to, to get over for that yeah. to stop just ruining me every day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure that would be frustrating, right? You're like, man, the legs are what I need to get me, you know, to get me where I need to go. And, uh, and yet my neck is what's holding me back. Uh, I remember you posting about that, like, it was just really, really hard to hold your, to hold your head up, uh, and be able to get through some of those rides. Um, Chad transitioning over to like, I kind of want to talk about the, um, the workload that you guys go through. So, you know, at your level, I mean, you guys put in an insane amount of work and you're going into your fifth year. Has it gotten, I don't want to say easier, but do you feel like it's gotten more manageable? Like, you know, you and I were chatting uh, the other day and like you recently got married. Uh, so congratulations on that. Y'all purchased a home. So you guys are kind of fixing that up. Like, um, it, has it has it been like kind of a slow transition slash evolution to where like when you first, you know, got on the scene, it was like all you could do was train and then go home and sleep and like eat something and like, that's it. And like little by little, you can actually kind of, you know, I mean, you know, you, you visit with your wife now, you know, while you're at a grand tour, like, are, are you handling the workload? Is it, do you understand kind of a little bit more of like the energy conservation thing and being able to just get through things a little bit easier? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, my first year as professional, it was really just train, <laughs> rest, sleep, um, 
it was very one dimensional. And, and since then that's, um, I've definitely added more activity to life. Uh, and for me, it's, it's really helped mentally. It's not always the best physically to, to be on my feet so much more than I used to. Um, but I think the mental bit is, is every bit or more important than physical rest. And so to, to not burn out halfway through the season because I just went so hard with the training and the resting and, and being so one dimensional, um, it, I found it much more rewarding and sustainable. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's every year adding a little bit more and more though. So it's, makes for a busy life now off the bike. Yeah, I'm sure. Speaking of, um, you play the piano and there's, you know, there's videos floating around of, uh, of you just, you know, hitting a, hitting a piano. If the, if the hotel lobby has a piano, usually you say you try to make it a point to go down there and tickle the keys a little bit and play a little bit. Um, and, and, and here's what I'm thinking watching these videos. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy is like, he's doing the Dauphiné or he's doing like this huge race. And here he is like, you know, probably the rest of the guys run up to their hotel room and they're like laying in bed, you know, or whatever recovering. And he wants to sit down in the lobby and play the piano. I mean, can you, but then I stop myself and I say to myself that that might be like an oasis for him to actually be able to do that. And he enjoys that. And then you get people like, you know, some of the riders even, you know, like, like listening to you play and stuff like that. Is this one of those where, like you said, it's not the best thing for me, probably recovery wise, but it's on the mental front. It's just so good for me and so therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it's not all that taxing physically unless I get really into it and start firing <laughs> off adrenaline. Uh, and then, then it becomes a problem, uh, that might actually take away from racing. But in any case, it's, it's really invaluable to be able to switch off from racing, especially at a grand tour. It's, um, some guys are really good at just becoming a zombie and, and watching Netflix until the sun goes down. Uh, but <laughs> I find that really just, I don't know, I, I tire of it pretty quickly. And so, uh, a piano is, is a fun way to pass an evening, uh, yeah. but it's, it's pretty rare. Well, and you do, and you do writing as well, right? I mean, you, you write and, uh, and, and you like doing that as well, you know, magazine or, uh, you know, online, you know, columns like having you contribute to them and stuff like that. And so, uh, sometimes they're not as frequent maybe as they would like them to be. Cause I know sometimes it's like, Oh, I'm going to recap, you know, stages two through five and we're on stage seven because <laughs> I'm literally that tired, you know, but, uh, but still you get it done, right? Yeah. That's, that's another way to, well, to, to make a little bit of money on the side, but also just, I enjoy writing and, um, and try and write things that I would also like to read myself. And so that's a fun way to pass time as well as keep my mind engaged, but, uh, you know, share the story in a, in a fun way. Yeah. All right. I've got to ask about this because this is the newest, this is the newest thing you've got going and it's, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. You know what I'm going to ask about, right? On Twitter, uh-huh. you've got your, what, what are, what are they called? They're, what did you call them? I call them, uh, oversimplified race reports. Yeah. <laughs> And you've got what? I mean, Twitter Twitter used to be 140. Now you've got what? 180 or something characters? Right? Uh, yeah, twice that. 280, I think. Okay, but uh, but I really, I try and keep it as short as possible. Um, yeah. So it's, it's rare to get all the way up to 280. 
dude, they're genius, right? So it's like, okay, he's, he's, you know, he's bringing a, you know, six hour, seven hour stage down to like 280 characters or less. Most of the time it really is less. Um, but let me ask you something like while you're, so is this something that like, once you kind of come back to life after a stage, you're like, Oh, all right, man. Uh, I've got, I've got something for today. Or is it, or like, are you racing sometimes and thinking to yourself, Oh man, I've got to remember that one for later. I know that I do that sometimes I'm writing and I'm like, Oh yeah, I need to make sure for later I can get this on social media, but then I get home and I forget. And so, I mean, what, what's the, how do you, I don't know. How are you putting these together? It's really awesome, by the way. It was, it was really all of the above. Sometimes an I, a little nugget would come to me during the stage and I would, I would, chew on it and try and reword it uh you know if it was a slow stage or in the gruppetto whatever that i i could let my mind wander um or i would just try and you know just remember it for later um there was once that another writer came to me like hey you should you should include this this wacky (laughs) bit in there and but sometimes it was just the the day was so exhausting that i would get to the bus after the stage and we'd be driving to the hotel and i would really just sit down and try try and think of anything to to do it um and so sometimes it actually took quite a long time to to come up with something clever and and effective and because i didn't want to just throw something out there i wanted it to be uh yeah it was a game for me actually There it is. Another man, you've got a lot of like mental diversions, you know, and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you did it wrong, man. You set the bar high. Like the first time you did one, everybody was like, oh, man, these are awesome. Hey, keep them coming. I mean, when yeah. you, you started it at one race, I think, and then it all of a sudden was like, hey, you're going to do this every time. Right. I thought I saw something like that. And now it's like, oh, you're committed, man. Like this is something <laughs> you can yeah, yeah. down now. No, it started stage 10 of the Giro when Chavez crumbled. Yeah. After the rest day. <laughs> yeah. That one came to me in the stage while I was, so I was on the front of the Peloton going as hard as I could. We'd just done a, the first hour was complete madness. The field exploded and Chavez was behind in a chase group. So we're an hour in, we'd already gone crazy for an hour. I'm on the front going as hard as I could trying to distance a GC competitor and I look to my right, and there's the 200 kilometers to go sign. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it was like, so because one guy has bad legs, right? we're doing this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So let's jump into some Grand Tour stuff here. Like, okay, aside from your teammates, um, who would you say are some of the most interesting dudes to, uh, to have a chat with when you can have a chat? So I don't know, you mentioned Gruppetto, sometimes you're there, you know, and maybe things are a little bit more relaxed and you can kind of open up, you know, the air, the airwaves a little bit and chat. Like who are some of the, uh, who are some of the more interesting fellows that you, uh, communicate with or try to, try to have a chat with? Well, I'm not the most social guy in the bunch, but, uh, I always enjoy catching up with the, the other Americans a bit, um, see what's going on at home or, but there's, I'm trying to think who the most fascinating. I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't actually talk all that much in the Gruppetto. I'm usually not super happy to be there or, or more often I'm alone somewhere in no man's land, uh, having survived past the point that the Gruppetto started, but then got dropped later on. And so then I just, uh, I enjoy my own silent ride to the finish. Yeah. You're just, yeah. Um, well, there's some colorful Americans too. So, I mean, between some of the, some of the Americans that we've got in the pro Peloton right now, I mean, I'm sure that, uh, some of those guys are, 
some of those guys are fun to have a chat with. But um, can you like Gruppetto when people when people hear Gruppetto and this is kind of one of the things that kind of you know makes my makes my blood boil a little bit. They're thinking, man, you guys just pulled a shoot, you know, uh, you guys are just chilling back there. I mean, sometimes it's a real race, is it not? Like, literally a race within a race for you guys to make sure you guys make time cut. I mean, like, you're talking about Giro Stage 10. You're riding as hard as you physically can, and then you see 200K to go. So it's not like you were just, like, soft-pedaling in the draft. I mean, it's a real deal to try to make time cut, right? So sometimes that Gruppetto is, like, serious business to try to make sure you guys make it, no? It really depends on the race and the particular stage and how that stage is playing out. Uh, because some races like the Giro are pretty generous with their time cuts. And so on a stage where, on a hard, long stage where it's out of the GC group that somebody wins, uh, then the time cut is actually pretty easy to make. Even with a lot of climbs, it's, it's rare for anybody to come extremely close to getting cut. Uh, but if, the breakaway is given a huge lead and somebody wins from there on a hard day, then then the Gruppetto has to hustle a bit uh, because they don't have so much time to play with. But what was new for me at the tour this year is that the tour uses a tighter uh, schedule for their time cuts. Uh, and so it's, it's actually pretty hard a lot of those days. I mean, we saw this year guys get legitimately time cut and there were several days that the, the big repetto came quite close. And so then it's, it's a pretty hard day. Yeah. It's, I mean, man, at the end of, at the end of the tour this year, you guys barely had any sprinters, you know? And again, this is where people are like, Oh, well they're sprinters. And so they're not made to get over those climbs. I mean, they're still, all of you guys can still ride flat out really well. I mean, you guys are the best in the world. It's just, it's just that hard, you know, um, yeah. it's just that hard to get that done. But, Sticking with uh, like Grand Tours, that kind of thing. Um, what's Tom like? What What's Dumoulin like? I mean, is it, like if you if you had to describe him here briefly, you know, I'll give you 280 characters. Like, what would you say about him? <laughs> He's fiercely competitive, a perfectionist, but he's. I mean, he he expects the best from his teammates, and he gives his best. So it's a it's a really good relationship. Uh, and as a teammate, he's he's really good. So is is it a um? Would you say that his leading style is hey, if everybody in here at the in the bus at the end of the day, if we can all raise our hands and say we gave our absolute best, like you know, there's really nothing that uh, there's nothing more that we could have done, and I, I'm satisfied with that and with you guys, regardless of uh, what the results sheet may show. Yeah, he, I mean, he's never happy to lose a race, but if if that was legitimately our best, he's content with that. Yeah. So, like at, at the Tour de France, there wasn't, there really wasn't anything we could have done better to beat Garrett, and so he was happy with second. And we did the best we could and raced our hearts out, and that was our just result. Yeah. See, that's what I've, that's what I've kind of gathered uh, from him is um, that you know you guys, and again, like if he's leading you guys, then then you know build a group around him that you guys are like-minded individuals it's like you guys are willing to put it all out there but at the end of the day and i think this is where you know somebody playing you know monday morning quarterback or something like that you know where they look at a race and they say to themselves man like these guys could have done x y and z but really and truly when you're in the trenches and you're racing this thing i mean 
you're watching you guys, you know, just throw the kitchen sink out there and just nothing's budging. I mean, it's just it's just not going anywhere. I mean, there's just no headway being made. And but the cool thing that I like about just watching a guy like Tom is I feel like he's not afraid to just the transmission just go out on the car halfway up the climb. And if I lose seven minutes today, then that's what I've got to do. But I but but I mean, I need to do that in order to gain back these 47 seconds that I'm down, you know, um, and, and to me, just watching a, a guy like that on y'all's team, uh, there's a contrast there between the way that he rides and then the way that you guys would ride versus some of the other teams where I think some of the guys are a little bit more conservative, um, you know, because I think that a good result in the tour, like a podium finish in the tour, I believe is like a you know, career maker for somebody like that, that you were just, you, mm-hmm. know, you can pretty much sign wherever you'd want to go. And I feel like sometimes folks play a little bit more safe on that end versus like actually putting it out there and actually going for it, you know? Yeah, no, he's definitely not afraid to leave it all out there, but yeah, yeah some, some Monday morning quarterbacks are, you know, wishing he would attack more or do whatever else. But Tom is, <laughs> he's a, a time trialist and, he knows his, his body and his feelings very well. And so if he's feeling confident and thinks he can hold it to the line, he is absolutely unafraid to go. But he's also, he will not do a stupid attack, uh, yeah. just at a bad time where he knows he can't hold it or, you know, that sort of thing. He's very calculating. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, you guys have gotten really good at masking when you're actually in pain. You know, when you're actually like on the limit, when you're actually like ready to go, because the other guys are looking at you just the same and they're they're doing the same thing. So it really is a poker match and it really is just like I can't let you know what I'm thinking and my face is going to be a tell of what I'm you know, how I'm feeling or or my body position on the bike or whatever. Um, So but let's man. okay, I can't remember. You're going to have to jog my memory. Was it was it in the Giro or was it in the Tour? You you got like tenth on a, on a, one of the time trials, didn't you? Uh, that was the Giro time trial. Stage what, what, what did you do 16. there? Yeah, what? <laughs> I <laughs> went all out. That was my last. That was my last really good effort of the Giro. It turned out, um, but I think there's some some debate over whether I should have saved energy or. Um, just gone for it in the time trial, but at that point there wasn't much more I could have done for Tom. And anyway, uh, I probably would have been tired. <laughs> so what did you what did you finish there? Was it it was a top ten? No, was it a top ten? Ended up uh, seventh after a couple guys got penalties. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, interesting. I, I didn't I didn't know this. This is a cool little insight here. So it was like. I guess as you guys are warming up and as you guys are getting ready, like was that your call to pin it and go all out or save a little bit for later for, for, uh, for Tom? Like, was that your call? So like, I guess the DS didn't say, Hey, I need you to do this or this. It was pretty much on you. Yeah. No, the, the team directors definitely gave me the green light. Um, before, before an effort like that, uh, my primary role is to support Tom. Uh, we need permission to, to pursue our own results on, a stage like that. So they, they told me, uh, you know, at the start of the Giro that we'll see how the race progresses up to that time trial and then make a call. So I never really knew until, uh, the couple of days before, but then they told me that, uh, that I could go for it. And so for, let's see, we had the rest day just before. So I was, uh, one of the only guys out during a recon with Tom that day and then went for it. Yeah. 
So, man, all right, it's stage 16, so obviously you've been working, you know, for uh, for Dumoulin. So how do you how do you muster up the – I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like, you know, I've been working the whole time, and I'm tired, and, oh, cool, I can, I can actually have a shot for glory here, but, my gosh, I'm so tired, man, you know. Um, I mean, how do you – how do you frame it mindset-wise to just go for it and obviously come good on it and get seventh? Um, so how, how does that work? It's, uh, well, by that point, I was eager for – well, I knew I, I could do a good race, and I knew it would also likely be my last chance uh, in the Giro, my only chance to go for a personal result. Uh, I enjoy time trials, and, and it's – so I was excited to do the race in the first place, but also being given the green light and I get so few chances, I, I really wanted to make the most of it. So there's, there's sort of a pressure, right? That when they tell me I can go for it and I decide to, I better make it worth it or I may not, uh, future ones may go differently. And yeah. so I was, I was committed. That, there you go, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you came good on it. So, um, Let's talk. Let's let's land the plane with this. Like life in life in Spain. Like that's your that's your home base, right? So I mean, you've you've you know you're gonna be over there. I mean, this you're going into your fifth year, and uh, so this is life for you. Can you kind of explain a little bit about like what you've had to get used to? Because here's 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 the reason why I'm asking for anybody that's listening that's that's young and and looking to do this thing. Um, it's not a secret that like Europe is kind of where it's at. Like you guys all have home bases out there, you know, uh, you guys make that home pretty much for, for the majority of the year, but it, it's not just because that's where the races are. I mean, you've got to get used to actually living life over there in Europe, which is different than in the United States. So what have been some of the big things that you feel like you've had to get used to that you're probably pretty comfortable with now that allow you to, because here's the thing. I mean, if you can't do some of these things efficiently, it's going to affect your training on the bike, and then it'll eventually affect the racing part too, right? So what have been some of those things for you? Uh, well, just first of all, living in a an area where your main language is not their main language is already difficult and a little bit jarring. Um, it's, Girona's nice because there's so many other pros that live here, so for really social people, there's uh, there's a community here. Uh, and so that can also help in in tricky situations where you're, you're trying to navigate the the infrastructure here. Like how does how does the train system work, or how do I get this paperwork filled out with the local government, sort of thing. Um, socially, it's a bit um, it takes some adapting to get used to the work schedule of everything here. You know, the afternoon siesta when things shut down or most things are closed on Sunday, so it uh, actually now now I have a little bit of panic in the U.S. on a sun on a Saturday. I'll be like, oh oh, tomorrow's Sunday. We gotta go grocery shopping today. We gotta get that done. And then oh yeah, we're not in Spain. We can relax. <laughs> It'll yeah. Be all right. Yeah. So um, I, last question, it, like. You mentioned like for social folks and you mentioned that, you know, you are a little bit introverted and just kind of like like to be, you know, with yourself and writing or, you know, piano or whatever. Um, how is it like so do you become a little bit more extroverted when you've just got to get stuff out? I mean, you have your wife now. Right. And so like, you know, you can sit down and have a chat with her. But like, you know, you've had some rough you've had some rough patches, you know, racing wise, personal life wise. And, and so. 
do you how, how do you how do you deal with those when you get to those like do you become more extroverted where you seek community and you seek you know like-minded individuals to be able to chat with or is it something you journal about or how do you kind of work through some of that stuff because i mean what you're doing is really difficult to do you know there's a lot of uh there's a, not, a lot of nuclear fallout you know and a lot of uh folks that just don't make it so how do you do how do you yeah. deal with that well i definitely have not become more extroverted uh now that i am married i my wife can be my outlet for things i need to talk about or i spend a lot of time on on skype uh, with my family and and friends across the ocean uh, i've got my my weekly online Bible study that I attend uh, that gives me that sort of that church community that is difficult to find over here. And I uh, just try and get in the rhythm of life and not dwell on, not dwell too much on how much I'd rather be somewhere else, but really try and just enjoy this phase of life, which is the challenge I'm having now because my summer break was taken away from me. So I'm, I'm pretty mentally tired and Jerome is getting more and more empty as guys' seasons end and they leave. So it's, uh, it's got the feeling of dragging on a little bit. So I'm trying to, uh, to mentally get in the right place again. It's a really long Sunday in Girona, like every day Sunday for pro cycling, right? Like everybody's going yeah. the pin and everybody's going home. So can you tell folks a little bit of why you got the extension on, uh, on the season? So, uh, you know, you're, you're training, you, you know, you're, you're going hard at something. What is it? Oh well, my uh, my season is going as long as it was originally planned to, but uh, there was no break in the middle of this year due to getting the call up to race the Tour de France, which is amazing. But it, uh, I, I never really got the chance to recharge my mental batteries. But so now I'm uh, continuing on as I as I had planned to anyway, and I'm training to hopefully be selected for the World Championships, um, which is an interesting place for me because I, I'm not used to preparing for races that I'm not already certain to be attending. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing intervals. I'm mentally tired of intervals, but I need to do them. But I also don't know that I'll really need to have done them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That, uh, I, I hear you. There's no, uh, the, the the date on the calendar is circled, but uh, it's it's circled without assurance that uh, that you're actually going to get the call up there. We we hope that you do. It'd be great to uh, to see you compete in the uh, in the World Championships. Um, one more thing, and then we'll uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I've always been curious about this as a uh, as a fellow brother in Christ uh, with you. I've always been curious about. I know that there is this weekly Bible study thing that I've heard from a couple other guys um that you guys that you guys do um what's the role in i'm gonna call it your faith what's the role in your faith with like how does that interlock and maybe help you navigate this this game that you're playing right of being like a professional cyclist and of now being a good husband and just you know doing all those things what where does it fit how does it help well i mean the church is is all about community and fellowship and and finding like-minded people to walk through life with and so it's it's really beneficial to have a group of people with the same challenges you're going through every everybody's or or have been through or whatever it's you know it's a group of people that um, have dealt with injuries and setbacks and loneliness and depression and performance anxiety sort of things and 
So to have that sort of community and to also all be Christians and pursuing Christ is, uh, it's really crucial because, you know, cycling is a weekend sport. And so even if you're in a country where the church speaks your language, you, you probably don't get a, many chances to attend it. Uh, so it's great to have our own sort of, uh, way of doing church that, that works with our lifestyle. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned, oh, dealing with setbacks and dealing with injuries and depression and all that kind of stuff. And so I just want to end with this. Uh, I always, I say it frequently on social media, you know, when I, when I see you guys like put out some of the stuff you guys put out, like the amount of kilojoules y'all burned or, you know, being delayed at airports or whatever, you know, I always say, you know, so you want to be pro, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it it, again, again, you know, and and, I, and you have the real world. You know how the real world works because you have that experience, and it's and it's neat. So you didn't get the wool pulled over your eyes, but you know, there's a lot of really awesome things that I'm that you get to do, and we can probably sit here and talk about it all day. Some of your really cool experiences that you've had, but then there's also this other side, um, you know, that that's not as fun. And uh, but but in order to get to the good parts, in order to get selected to do the tour. Uh, you've got to train mm-hmm. really, really hard and you've got to be willing to say, yeah, I guess I don't get that break. You know, I guess I've got to run through and I guess like, you know, come August, you know, almost September, like I know that I'm going to probably be pretty, uh, pretty frayed mentally, but do I want to do the tour or not? Yes. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. what it's going to take. Right. And so, you know, having this give and take and, you know, p- part of, part of what I know that helps you get through that is your faith and is the piano and is the, the writing part that you do. And, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just want to make sure that I highlight and you've highlighted a couple of times now that, uh, it's really not all about just pedaling a bicycle. I mean, a lot of guys can pedal a bicycle and a lot of guys, if you hook them up to masks and tubes and stuff, I mean, they might have similar VO2 maxes and all that good stuff that you might have, but, uh, there's that extra part. Can you do life in Girona? Can you get used to that? You know, can you, uh, deal with like, unfortunately, maybe if you, if you're in a training accident, you know, um, those kinds of things. And and that really, when you get down to it, everybody wants to do the bicycle riding part, but then there's also this other part that eh, maybe not as fun, but, uh, but it's necessary. Um, and, and it's good, right? Um, Yeah. My, my brother and I always joke at Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman, everybody want to be a bodybuilder, but ain't nobody want to lift this heavy weight. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like you didn't you didn't just get there, uh, you know. Oh, man. One of the oh, brother. I mean, it's like, oh, man, you know, you're riding 20 hours a week. Well, if I didn't have a job, I would do that. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. There's times where I do my 20 hour week and I go, no, like, no, I I cannot wash, rinse and repeat that for like, you know, four or five months. And, And I'm and I'm saying 20 hours and you're probably laughing at me because, well, let, let, this will be fun. Uh, we'll get a chuckle out of this. What, what's the most you've ever done on a bike? How many hours has been the most you've ever done on a bicycle? I think my biggest training week ever was 30 or 31 hours. But, uh, I mean, you get the middle week of the Giro and that I think was like 38, 39 hours or something. It's, I mean, a grand, a grand tour. Uh, is around 90 hours oh. in three weeks. Oh gosh, that's like that's not training, that's racing, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, that's that's just mind-boggling. Well, Chad, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with the opportunity to thank some folks, do whatever you want. This is your space. Where can people find <laughs> out about you and follow your journey? Go ahead, go ahead and do that now, man. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at Chad Haga. Um, I mean, th- that's I've got my Instagram as well, the Hagasaki. And thanks for having me on, Mario. It's it's great to to share some some uh behind the scenes stuff or what just life not uh, not just racing and i'm not sure who else to thank i mean david is super squadron guys the, the texas crew listening wanger and dilly and wheeler it's uh texas a&m university cycling team I'll, we'll throw back to all the roots um That's it. yeah i love it man i love it well hey chad thank you so much for your time man I really appreciate you thank you mario all right